So, say, say it again. Okay, just cut out for a second. Okay. When when you saw them first, and you the, yeah. the, the superficial thing of blue collar workers who are struggling and 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 have become disadvantaged financially. Yes. And are struggling to deal yeah. with that. Now, what you're seeing is the product of being disadvantaged um, from an education point of view and from an information yes. point of view. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's the uh, same thing, just moved on a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. I think it's. And it's, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to make it too political, but it's just. Uh, it's certainly been an issue. For for Jim and and myself too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, you, do you think you'll just move on to something else, or cause no? I uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I well, why not? Slightly adjust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that was then. That was then. Yeah. This is now. Yeah. 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 It does. Or maybe yeah. you'll find a different way of representing us. Exactly. To me, anyway, just from way over here, it looks like the same thing. It's just you're um, you were looking at a poverty, a financial poverty. Now you're looking at a kind of an almost a poverty of the soul kind of thing. Yes. Well, I think it's just that uh, I think the biggest one of the biggest issues is immigration. You know. There's a very strong feeling against immigration, and that's probably the driving thing. Because uh, uh, I mean that's an issue that's divided people in England and uh, the UK with Brexit. So it's just uh, a different worldview. And that's a sad thing. Is I think um, in the future with water shortages and things that unfortunately will be more and more of that. Yeah. It's certainly an issue that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to deal with, figure it's, out. It's, 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 and different yeah, countries yeah. Are, are doing better at it. But it is, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, immigration is just good for fear. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a few things that, yes. you can, that are hot topics for fear. And them mm-hmm. and us is always very easy to make people afraid of what, you know, make others, make different people from other cultures other. And then you can mm-hmm. point your finger at the other and make people afraid of them. It's very easy yeah. to do. So if you want to yeah. divide people, immigration is a great way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, not sure about this question. I'll ask you anyway. Artist Skip Road in North Carolina says, Julian, tell us about the elephant and when are we going to see it? And the next question is, do any of your bats have names? I hope you know right. what he's talking about. Cause I do. I do. <laughs> okay. Skip, good, Skip good. is uh, in the same industrial complex as myself. Oh, okay. Uh, he's a terrific, terrific artist, yeah. Um, uh, big fan of your show, too. But, uh, uh, yes, The Elephant. I don't know if I will finish that. That, that was the political sort of piece. Um, when I was doing, um, uh, scouting around based on the interviews I'd done at the shelter, um, I ended up in Tennessee, and um, I discovered that this town not far north of here, uh, that they they lynched an elephant uh, back in 1915, I think, 1915-16, that right. a circus elephant trampled a handler and it was uh, sentenced to death and it was taken to Irwin where they had these railroad yards 
and uh, they lynched it. They, they they hanged it. Right. And it's definitely the least cheerful painting I've ever done. <laughs> so I started this enormous painting, which was really about that again. Uh, I suppose that the existence of violence and cruelty in the world. Uh, and it was about my son, it was really about my son, who at the time was just four or five. And he's, there's, so there's this picture of an elephant, which is kind of like a Christ figure with a crown of thorns. Yeah. And it's covered in graffiti. It was a lot to do with um, the current state of, again, it was about immigration, actually. It was about... Uh, yeah, nationalism. So the elephant is covered in graffiti and my son is there trying to wash the graffiti off. And quite honestly, uh, I find it, it, I've had it in the studio for five, six years and I can't really finish it. Uh, it spends most of its time under a sheet and it just, it depresses me too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really sad. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sad just I hearing about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I can um, finish it, really. Isn't yeah. the elephant I, a symbol I, of one of the parties over there? It's the Democrats? Or it is, it? is this, uh, the Republican Party, yeah. The Republican is the elephant, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's that. I tell you, a good thing that came of it, uh, I remember, I, I do this occasionally, I <laughs> just to get some crazy whim, I picked, picked up the phone and I called up the mayor that were the mayor's office of, of this little town. And I said, look, I said, the anniversary of the elephant hanging, of the, the hanging of Mary the elephant, is coming up. <laughs> this is not something they like to talk about in that town. <laughs> I said, uh, rather than let the world's press get hold of this, like the, the, in fact, I've read a story in the Daily Mail about it, that's how I found out me, um, that was still floating around the internet. I said, rather than let the press get hold of the anniversary, um, how about if we do some sort of fundraiser and make money? Because on the other side of Tennessee, there's an elephant sanctuary for retired circus elephants. Wow. And I thought we, we could do like a fundraiser here, have the kids all make a big elephant or something, and Parade it across Tennessee and dump the money, you know, in this thing. Um, and he kind of hung up on me. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, later, some uh, high school kids actually did a, pod, a little podcast thing about the elephant, and it won uh, the, the National Public Radio Award. Uh, I think it was a year or two ago. Oh, nice. So. But, so that's great. And, and since then, the town has put up, um, like, elephants. You know, those kind of fiberglass elephant things, yeah. decorative elephants around the place. Yeah. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think... Yeah. I think if I was you, I would just let it go. I wouldn't finish it. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, I mean, I had this... I remember I had this I bri brilliant idea for a, uh, it was kind of like a performance art thing where there was people who were going to do their tax returns and give blood at the same time. And it was right. like a, you know, some, you know, it was yeah. all on, on like 
lit up podiums where you had actual tax accountants who were ushering them in and then you'd have a nurse yeah. and they'd be taking the blood as they're doing their tax returns and all the blood yeah. was going to go into a big basin where there was a politician giving a speech. You know, it was all very intense. And I just got yeah. really depressed doing it. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. okay, I've gone through the whole logistics and thought thought experiment of it all. I can see it all. But I don't want to be involved with that. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. give any more of my life to that. Yeah, it's a good idea and everything, but yeah, I think there's yeah. other happier things I could bring yeah, into the I world. T- I totally agree. I think that's my answer to Skip. I probably will. Yeah. Uh, as to the bats, I have uh, I have a bat colony in uh, kind of in the corner of my studio. Okay. Um, yeah. How, how very gothic of you. <laughs> very gothic. <laughs> Uh, they are protected, but we've got a bat guy, Batman, who's come by to see about putting bat boxes <laughs> on the outside of the building. Yeah, so that's, that's the bat side. They don't have names. No, they're not around long enough. I, I, he told me I could take them out and hang them on a tree and they'd be fine. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, not, not names that you know of anyway. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's been a thing going around of on. Um, uh, I've seen it pop up a few times. Of it's like a video of bats, except the camera's been turned around and they've got some techno music oh, yeah. over it. Have you yeah. seen that? It's black and white. Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. It is. Yeah. Uh, Eric Lyle says, do you feel that there is a unified tone or worldview across the breadth of your work? And also, does music, cinema, photography, and books provide inspiration to your painting? Thanks. So you answered the second bit, but yeah, unified tone or worldview. Yeah, I think a tone, um, I have, I do have a kind of, uh, that's weird, I'm a sort of incredibly optimistic pessimist or something, fatalist or something, I don't know. Uh, I have a kind of melancholic overview of the world. Um, uh, I I grew up uh, Catholic and I spent some time with the Jesuits, which was challenging. Uh, (laughs) I'm just uh, smiling. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they they imbued in me this thing of life being a veil of tears. It is, you know, you can't really avoid some kind of tragedy. You know, if you're blessed with people you love and uh, you, you'll lose some of them and you'll leave some of them behind when you die or whatever. And, and uh, so I have a kind of, a, I've got a little bit of that, but life is, uh, is, is, is has a melancholy side. But the, I also very much, uh, believe in the sort of transcendent moments that people bring to the world, you know. Um, so I think if I have an overlying tone uh, to all my work, it might be a kind of not so much existentialist as perhaps a religious tone, in that I'm searching through my art for an equivalent religion. You know, I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. I'm sort of searching for beauty, incidents of beauty in the world. Um, yeah. That would particularly apply to my writing. 
more than my painting. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like all the, I don't know, just, uh, as I said, uh, a lot of the, the paintings are finding beauty in things that people don't notice, a lot of my landscapes and cityscapes and things. Uh, but there is this underlying melancholy also of things not being or being neglected or you know falling falling down because of neglect or being knocked down here in America because of gentrification. But there's a kind of sadness that uh, I don't know. Yeah, is it neglect or uh, the passage of time? You know that all things pass and that things that are neglected, you just notice that it's almost speeded yes. up. Yes. I think it's a passage of time, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty standard <laughs> mood. It's a pretty standard mood for artists to have. Uh, but, yes, yes. I, I, my friend has this wonderful piece of folk art that I covet, which is a, a sign he picked up in Alabama, and it, it reads, Gob is goob. And obviously the guy got the D's turned around. But uh, <laughs> I just wish I had that as a sort of thing to put on the wall and concentrate. <laughs> you know, it's got this little dyslexic jump you've got to make uh, each time you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, for some reason, that reminds me of the joke about the dyslexic atheist. Do you know this? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> you didn't believe in dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, That's a good simple joke for a child. <laughs> oh yeah, all my jokes are. Yeah, you know, I can't remember jokes past the age of I don't know, fifteen. <laughs> but my age, you know, when I was fifteen, I could yeah. remember. I can remember yeah. all the old ones. Um, yeah, well, it sounded like what you were started off to describe that. You know, the Jesuit, you know, Valley of Tears and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, that, and then you know, that mixed with optimism, this kind of sense of you know, <laughs> doing well under difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I think that's, that's it. I mean, but I am definitely an optimist. I think people are a little disappointed, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they come to my studio, they see the, they see the videos with the bats, they see the gothic stuff. <laughs> they, they expect me to be dressed in black. And, you know, <laughs> the coffin uh, door to open. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, my idea of heaven would be, you know, to be, just sit at a poker table with like sort of five old Jewish stand-up comedians. I mean, <laughs> I could just sit there and listen to that stuff forever. You know, so. Yeah. Okay. Mark uh, Bonello here in Ireland says, as soon as I laid eyes on your first image, I knew I'd met a kindred spirit. My question is, I've, I'm often pressured to paint certain subjects. My gallery always pesters me for cityscapes. I get endless commissions for certain scenes, but I'm 95% of the time not interested in that subject. How, as an artist, do you find a balance between being true to yourself, but still producing pieces that sell and are viable? Or do you just not give a damn? And then, oh yeah, he's the one who got the uh, your gender uh, orientation oh, wrong. He yeah. says, P.S. If Julie likes this kind of subject matter, she should come to Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great to find another kindred spirit. There's, there's a lot of us out there. Uh, 
Yeah, um, like the collapsing stuff and so on. But, um, Urban decay. I, I think the trick, yes, the trick is, uh, for me, is to have divided the work. Um, yeah, to um, adjust the paintings I do, uh, that I, I'm very particular about finding something that still inspires me. And that's why it's great for me to paint outdoors because I, I really see that as a, a way to be outdoors and just enjoy enjoy nature, you know. But those the paintings that come of that tend to be sellable as, a, as just a byproduct of the fact it's going to generally be a sunny day. Or, yeah. You know, um, so that's really great. And, and, and as for the other work, it's... Um, it's case of dividing my time. Uh, I had an artist friend. I have an artist friend still. <laughs> <laughs> he, he used to call me up from California, and we used to joke about it. Uh, he, we, we talked about my art being divided be, between like, two ships, the HMS Compromise and the HMS <laughs> Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> and he would call up and he'd say, well, Captain, what, what ship are you sailing? today <laughs> and I'd say you know well the, the you know, thanks to the in upcoming recession the integrity is in dry dock and the uh, you know the compromise is fully loaded set for the Indies <laughs> we go through this long metaphor but yeah so I divided it between the, the compromise and the integrity um, I I really do tend to um, avoid commissions that that could be very difficult uh, right, really worked to to avoid that. Although what what of the uh, people who asked questions, Eric, um, I just mentioned this. Uh, that's uh, I've been um, he commissioned me, he and his wife, to do a painting, actually a couple of paintings, and uh, that's been the best experience I've ever had on the commission. It's been terrific. He's a fantastic reader. He's read volumes in an entire library. So he's always introducing me to new writers. Um, but I just got an absolute free hand to just in some way interpret how his little boy sees their, their, the land that they live on. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Um, yeah. In fact, I believe he's contacted, he's so excited by the whole experience, I think he's contacted uh, Mia uh, Bergeron. Yeah. So he wants to kind of continue this thing, which is brilliant. Okay. Just have, have the artists come and, and, you know, do what they want. Fantastic. Right, yeah. Yeah, Robert Lang was on the podcast a little while ago, and he was talking about painting. He's this painting of his son's familiar. His son's familiar is oh, a yes. giant jaguar, a black jaguar. Yes, and I he, heard that. That was I, great. Yeah, I only saw the painting recently. It's like it's way bigger than... I got when he was t telling me about it. It's huge. <laughs> it's great. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He normally does quite small paintings, doesn't he? Yeah. No, no, the, so. the jaguar is huge compared oh, to the, the little boy. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know how big the painting is, but <laughs> it's like, I thought it was like maybe double size or a triple size, but no, this yeah. is a giant thing. But it's a great painting. And it's a friendly, it's a friendly creature. Yeah, it? yes, it's, his, it's his, like his yeah. imaginary friend or his familiar. Yeah, you don't want the, the little the finger. Thing. Like, was it Tony in the, the Shining? <laughs> you don't want your kids. 
You don't want that. It's funny. I don't watch any of those kind of movies at all. Like all the big, scary movies, I've never seen them. I stopped at um, Nightmare on Elm Street. I had like just a horrendous nightmare after that. I was like, no, these are probably not the best for me. (laughs) But when you were talking about the HMS compromise and thing, uh, it did remind me of The Terror. I don't know if you've seen that show. I don't even know where it's on. I think it might be Amazon or one of those. Yeah, that's very interesting you mentioned that. Uh, That was a real obsession of mine, that expedition. Yeah. Um, And that's a really good, um, the the Franklin expedition, right? Yeah. To find the Northwest Passage, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's a really good example of a a failed project where I thought, when I was in art school, I actually did some paintings based on that story. Yeah. And... uh, I think that's that's kind of a point where my teachers really lost <laughs> patience. <with me. laughs> I mean, I barely I barely got out of art school in the past, but I remember them saying, "What the hell is this now? What is yeah. that?" And I said, "These are sailors, and you know, this is the the the, the Erebus, HMS Erebus, and the Terror, the two ships up in the ice, and uh, uh, that's." That's them starving, and, and, and you know. Uh, but I try to revisit that subject. Um, there's actually a really interesting story. I don't know if it's in the. I don't think it's in the the, show, the series you're talking about. But there's a weird uh, side story to the story of those two ships foundering in the ice, and that is that uh, Lady Franklin she financed all these. Um, searches to find her husband's ships and the last search which um, actually did find evidence of the sailors having to resort to cannibalism and all that uh, she actually uh, based that search a, a, a guy in Dublin his, their little daughter had died a three or four year old daughter had died and her ghost the girl was called Wee, uh, Wheezy Copin. Her ghost came back to her brothers and sisters and drew on the wall a map of where the ship was. Right. It's absolutely insane. Anyway, the guy jotted down the details and the information was sent to Lady Franklin in London. And she said, uh, she was so, it was an age of spiritualism and things, she said, that's it, we're going to use that. And uh, it's just bizarre. Yeah. There's no, there's no connection between the little girl in Dublin and, and anything to do with the expedition, but that's what they based the search on. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Amazing. Yeah. That's what the, my paintings were about. And I tried it again a couple of years ago and just, just didn't work. So, okay. too strange. <laughs> Which the little girl, the science thing, that that bit of it, or the just the whole expedition, oh, the, the whole the whole thing. Oh well, if you haven't seen the terror, I think you'd enjoy it because they bring a supernatural element into it. Yes, yes. So what topic that? Yeah, I, I do want to see that. Yeah, great. Uh, it's good. Okay. I I think they made a second series, but the second series is a completely different story, and I didn't get past the first ten right. minutes. But right. I found the first series very. Yeah. yeah, I like that kind of thing anyway. I like, you know, Hornblower and that kind of... Yes, yes. Yeah. I like to watch Good it. Stuff. I would have hated to be in it, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And uh, my um, my great great grandfather was um, in all that. He was uh, actually from Northern Ireland, and uh, yeah, he was ended up uh, an admiral. But he, he was in the Crimean War. Okay. He um, he uh, won the first Victoria Cross by picking up a bomb on the deck of the ship and throwing it overboard. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't explode. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It wasn't the posthumous VC. No. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was trying to get my ten year old to watch Ma uh, Master and Commander. You oh, seen yeah. that? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he couldn't get into it. I was trying to say, you know, just be glad, just be glad you're not a midshipman. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be glad you're but, not but, anywhere on that ship. <laughs> Everywhere, <laughs> just yes, painful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Even the people who had an easy time of it, it was still rough. Oh yeah, <laughs> terrible. Um, okay, so this is from your cousin uh, Charlotte Serafour, who was also a guest uh, with her husband yeah. uh, Side Day uh, on the podcast, and she's in the UK in Bath, and she says, as someone who has exhibited in both the UK and USA. What do you think are the fundamental differences, both of the gallery culture and reception to your work? And, okay, I'll get to our second question after that. Okay. Yeah, there, I, there is a big difference, actually. And uh, um, I think I was very fortunate. I recently wrote to um, or posted something on uh, the Facebook page of my old art school. Uh, about the, the film about Demopolis and how I moved to the States and became an artist in the South and uh, all my, you know, all, all the previous alumni said you did absolutely the right thing. Uh, well, you know, for years people would say, well, that was the dumbest thing you could have ever done. <laughs> you leave London and go to Alabama to be an artist. That's incredibly stupid <laughs> you know. but the truth is that um, I think the British art scene changed so much right around the time I left art school I was a, a direct contemporary of Damien Hirst and uh, Chris Affili and so it switched to uh, conceptualism and, and Sarchi's sort of early collection of that so I think my work would have really not fitted um, I think maybe I think that's starting to change a lot now. As, as you say, I think representational painting's doing much better in England, which is great. But but the 90s and the first decade of this century would have been tough, um, definitely. Um, uh, also, American galleries are very uh, I don't know they seem they seem more easygoing, you know. Uh, they're more open to things. If you get a really um, inspired and educated gallerist here, uh, it's it's a you know you, it's it's a great help. I, I think one thing that uh, one doesn't think of, but um, in in the UK and in Europe, um, most of the people who are the art buying public. They're going to have. They're not going to have a lot of wall space, and they're not. They're going to have inherited a lot of art, uh, and one forgets how much in America you've got 
new homes being built all the time. There's a, a, you've spent time in the States, you know, uh, I believe, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you forget how much sort of uh, new money there is. And also how much, uh, an awful lot of jobs in, in the UK, uh, doctors, dentists, uh, surgeons, whatever, lawyers, uh, they don't get paid the kind of money that uh, American, the American equivalent does. So there's a much more, what's the term? Uh, not expendable, something in discretionary Dispo- Disposable income, yeah. Disposable income, yeah. Much more. And there's all these, these huge homes with no art. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that plus the fact that uh, 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 Americans are not—they don't seem very cliquey about buying their art. You know, they're open to that, and I'm sure it's been a help also for me. To be honest, it's been—I can't deny it's been a help for me to be English. I think that's quite <laughs> <a slight> advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got yeah. It's the it's the. It's the, uh, you know, people with different accents, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, I, I lived in uh, Australia for 10 years, and I was always the most interesting person in the room, <laughs> just because I opened my mouth and said, can you pass me that yeah. butter or whatever, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, I'll say yeah, that again. Yeah. Oh, you've got such yeah, a lovely accent, yeah. you know. And I mean, I've got a pretty yeah, yeah. neutral <laughs> accent, but, yeah, it's it's amazing yeah. just being from somewhere else, is it, you know. Yeah, so that would be a big help. Uh, I, I do get... You know, inklings um, from English artists I know too. That there's there's quite a lot of uh, competition, uh, like uh, amongst painters. There, um, do you find that? Um, well, I know, and I don't have much to do with the Irish art scene. I know the figurative painters in Ireland, um, and they're over lovely, <laughs> um, but. It seems like, you know, once you sort of go into, I think you described it as the bigger art world, then things get a bit snobby, yeah. all right. And, yeah, you know, but then the prices are, you know, always much lower for figurative art here, everywhere, it seems, um, yeah. than if you are, you know, ab- even just a, if you're just a sort of regular abstract artist, not a, you know, an, an abstract artist with a PR company behind you kind of, Abstract artist, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, they're yeah. still getting more money. It seems like. Yes. Yeah. At, at, le- at yeah, least, at least double. Um, just you know, for standard kind of um, abstract work of the same size. Yeah. And then if you've yeah. got the PR company behind you, and you've got a bit of hype, and you've got a bit of that kind of auction buzz going on, then it can it just goes through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, it's really. I mean. I can't think of anything better than being able to sort of help fellow artists out. You know, it's it's great to go into to think of an artist and recommend them or suggest something. You know, uh, it seems we should be much you know really close knit community. I mean, perhaps in London there's more competition for fewer for less wall space, or I don't know. But, um, I yeah. think we should all support each other. Yeah, uh, from any of the artists that I've talked to in the UK, I haven't heard that, but that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> There's plenty right. more artists than I've talked to. Right. 
her second question, Charlotte's second question is, with so many strings to your bow, how do you reconcile being pulled in so many directions artistically? Um, well, I think... Uh, uh, I think overall what I'm doing is painting my, my life, you know, uh, in, in the most general way, and I'm painting my daily experience and things I discover around me and, um, and then also painting those things that leap out from my reading um, uh, it's certainly true that as I say like talking about the Franklin expedition or the Doll's House project I do tend you know I, I tend to have perhaps too many ideas and I can uh, I think a, a good lesson is to just be able to recognise when something's not going anywhere. Um, that's probably perhaps why I've left the elephant unfinished. Is that there's not there's not really a point to that. Um, yeah, uh, but I do I do have a lot of interests, and it's always uh, a danger to have too much going on. You can follow the wrong avenue. Um, yeah, I was just. Actually, yeah, when I was looking at the thing on 2001 of Space Odyssey, there was an interesting thing about Kubrick's fascination with Napoleon. All right. And that was the film. That was the film he wanted to make his whole life. And he read thousands of books. He actually had a filing system in his home where he could get. He had he'd written out an index card for every single day in Napoleon's life. So that was the extent to which he spent time. And, you know, that's years and years and years that didn't end up. You know. I think the film Waterloo came out with uh, Rod Steiger, and that put pay to his, yeah, his yeah. plans. But uh, so I think if you've got to, if you've got different projects, the trick is to address them quickly and see where they're going to go. But I, I do need to, I do need to start focusing things in a bit. I'm smiling because I'm just <laughs> imagining Kubrick going, okay, well, oh, damn, that Waterloo has come out. All right, what I need to do now is make a movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I need to make Eyes Wide Shut. That's what I need to do next. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so what sort of price range are your paintings selling for at the moment? Um, I've actually... Uh, Kept my um, prices. Well, I said kept. That's that's rubbish. I have not been fortunate enough to have my prices soar. Uh, I, um, on the other hand, though, I, I sell everything I paint. Uh, my post, my prices are sort of the middle range. I, I have little tiny paintings I've been doing, which has been actually very satisfying because. Pretty much anybody can afford to buy those. Those are about six hundred dollars. Right. They're little tiny miniatures landscapes. I do seascapes mostly. And this is uh, all gallery price. You're saying that's the gallery price. Yes. Six hundred, six fifty or so. And then um, those are tiny. And then it'll go up to about uh, twenty-two, twenty-four thousand for uh, like a fifty by seventy canvas um, and there's, there's huge ones tends to be the narrative work so those aren't really for sale but when they come up for sale they're, they're 
Yeah. I don't I don't rely on that. Most of my work sells in the um, uh, sort of two thousand to ten thousand dollar range. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have much to do with your collectors? Do you know them? Do you know where they live? Or is it all in the vault of the gallery? <laughs> uh, my, ga uh, I, my galleries are pretty good, actually, at not hiding the collectors away. I've got some really interesting collectors. Uh, I've met a few. There's quite a few. Um, but... Uh, it's something actually I try and really remind myself every every day on the way to the studio. It's a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, uh, I, I, by being an artist, you know, I've sort of fought for the right to be able to do anything I want once I get to the studio. You know, yeah. uh, I don't. I have total freedom. I don't, I don't. You know, that's that's why you go through all the hardship and things. And the other thing I do is try and remind myself of my work actually being out there giving people pleasure, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, um, so I have about maybe 15 or 20 collectors who have over 20 paintings of mine. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I have this, this uh, I got to meet uh, one lady and her mother um, who have a huge collection of my work and they keep it all in one room and that's where they have breakfast together and they, the first thing they do is sit down and they have breakfast and they talk about my work. Wow. And they know me and my work better than I do. I, and I got to meet the two of them. It's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Did you, have you seen Sorry. the room? Have you been to the room? I've not been to the world, no, no, um, no. Uh, quite, yeah, but you f I think it's so easy for an artist, to, as an artist, to forget that. You're always thinking about, you know, making it, being able to make a living, and what are you going to paint next, and you know, what are you doing for the show, and you just forget that these things are going out there and, you know, meaning a great deal to people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah see how much we forget that. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was pointing or talking about with um, the difference between paintings and cinema. You know, they don't have yeah. they don't have their favorite show playing in the background when they're having breakfast. You know, there's, there's <laughs> something about painting yeah. that's completely different in a way. You know, yeah. so that they can, yeah. you know, have their breakfast every day, looking at the same thing and see more each day. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say, actually, on that note about collecting, uh, that's something very important for artists to fight for is, is to not get too pigeonholed by um, galleries. Uh, either pigeonholed in what they do or uh, have their work priced too high because they're, they are sort of traps. You know, I, um, I came very close to showing with a gallery in New York called O.K. Harris, was one of the early galleries to re represent photorealists like Chuck Close and people like that. Right. And they um, they wanted to put my prices up and they wanted me to do a show of 20, 20 paintings of rundown motels in winter, preferably in the snow. 
And I, you know, I've got this really nice note from, uh, I think it was either Ethan, Ivan or Ethan Karp, you know, famous people, I can't remember which one it was. Um, and I, I just had to say, I can't do that. Uh, I, as, you know, I'll, I'll do a two or three motel paintings this yeah. winter, yeah. but it's not my thing. And I think uh, I'm glad I thought to do different types of work because I've noticed, actually, that people who collect my work, that's why they collect it, because because it, it's changing, because it's, you know, they say, oh, I've got an early Julian Davis of this, and I've oh, it's interesting, I've got one of his figure studies, and I've got this, and yeah. gives them a whole thing, so it's, I think it's good. Uh, my, my biggest uh, concern for young artists is, is to remember that there aren't any royalties in, in painting, and uh, you, you, technically, it's a run, it's a fantastic job. So once you started it, you don't want to give it up. So you're really basically in it for perhaps 50, even 60 years. Yeah. And you've got to be thinking about how am I going to do the long game. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All gone well. If we if cryptocurrency comes on more, there will be royalties mm -hmm. for artists. Hmm. Because it'll be built into the smart contract of oh, the, right. yes, yeah. Know, that, that every time it's sold, the artist should get something back. Oh, right, okay. Do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> uh, slightly. Well, with cryptocurrency, uh, you can, you can it, instead of just a normal kind of contract, they have what they're called smart contracts. I'm no expert on this, right? But I know the the broad strokes of it, which means um, that. It, you can build into the contract that you know there will be a, a royalty type thing paid to the artist every time the art is resold. Oh, okay. I start to introduce see. that for musicians. It's a version oh, right. of royalty payments that that's yes. At the moment, there are gatekeepers for royalties with music. You know, like it's up to yes. You know, yeah. the the people who gather the the money to give it back to the artist. They're the kind of the yeah, gatekeepers, yeah. whereas with smart contracts, right. it's it's just uh, it's part of the transaction. It just happens instantly. Right, but that would most was that not most benefit uh, like the, the the sort of Basquiat's and people where the work is coming up for auction again and again. Uh, well, yes, yeah, it's only yeah. in the resale that it would be, but there is you know, yeah. it would it would benefit your estate <laughs> if you. Yeah. Because most, yeah. you know, unfortunately, most art goes up in value as soon as the artist dies. Yes. But Absolutely. you know, if, you know, you can leave that to your kids, like you leave anything else to your kids yeah. or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, the the big mistake that New York Gallery made uh, with you <laughs> was they didn't send you the bottle of wine <laughs> and the chocolate. That's right. <laughs> they didn't do that. Yeah. If they'd yeah, done that, true. there would be fifteen more paintings of <laughs> urbanly decayed motels with snow, in the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And yeah. the thing is, now everyone's going to know that, so, you know, just be ready for more <laughs> bottles of wine. That's what... <laughs> and chocolate. <laughs> yeah, they can skip the chocolate. <laughs> okay, all right. So two bottles of wine. You know, if you're a gallery owner and you're listening and you want to woo Julian, <laughs> two bottles of wine, hold the chocolates, and... Uh, a nice letter. Um, okay. Um, do you have a big art dream you'd like to 
achieve before you die? Uh, actually, no, I don't. Um, I mean, in terms of a project, something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I, it sounds like you're living the dream, really. But sometimes people, like I mean, I've said this to somebody recently, they said, "Oh yes, I want to, I want to um, put art in the space shuttles that are going up." You know, that, oh, yeah, had it all yeah, figured out. Yeah. It was a thing. So just, yeah. just on the off chance you had something like that, <laughs> yeah, kicking around in the back uh, of your mind. I know, I mean, there's some people with like a huge art project, you know, like a, a mural or. Uh, but, I had a, a, I did a mural years ago in this giant mansion in Alabama and it was oh it was such a nightmare that has put me off any kind of public <laughs> space or something like that I, I was the person uh, I put in a very low bid because you know this starving artist and everything and that and then three years later they said well yeah we'll accept the do the there was three ceilings two domes and a giant ceiling about 80 feet up, and he said, yeah, we'll, we'll do it at the price you said, and if you could do it by Christmas, that would be great. So uh, I wasn't even living in the same state at the time, so I just rushed down there, and uh, absolutely exhausting, yeah. Ah, you got your Michelangelo experience. <laughs> I got my Michelangelo experience, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Exhausting. And I, I was not happy. Not particularly happy with it, but I mean, I didn't have any time. It's just crazy. About about eight weeks. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so now I don't think there's the giant project I'd like. I'm actually finding I'd I'd like to work on a slightly smaller scale, you know, and um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Last question. As you know, I ask this to everyone. <laughs> so you can't mm -hmm. be like you're surprised at this question. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast this. If there's one thing you could pass on to future generations, what would it be? And it doesn't have to be about art. Mm. Oh, gosh. Um, I suppose one thing for the generation here is to, is to be more aware of history you know, um, to, to tend to, to history and not let things um, vanish. Uh, uh, I think, you know, if looking back at, uh, at the moment, it's almost, it's almost 2,000 paintings I've done and the vast majority of things that have gone have vanished since. So I think... Uh, the vast majority of things like that you've painted have vanished it's now since... Vanished. Yeah, so, well, yeah. I mean, of, of, of the collapsing buildings, yes, I'd say about 400, 500 things have gone. Yeah. Um, I, I once visited, on that trip to Santa Fe, I, I visited the state archives in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and uh, there's this wonderful chap who was ar archiving everything, and he, he had all these film and video and uh, old snapshots and so on and he he just he said to me I think he was Welsh <laughs> he said to me he said to me just remind me again what it is you do and I, I said I, I paint paintings uh, you know of, of the vanishing south you know 
And uh, he said, oh, he said, that's very, very good. He said, because that's, that's more archival than anything in here. He said, all this stuff has got a 20, 30 year life expectancy. He said, I'm just watching this crumble. I said, but you're doing oil on canvas? He said, that's good. That's got a four or five hundred year lifespan. <laughs> 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 so I thought that was rather wonderful. But, uh, yeah, I would say that would be my, uh, my hope, is that people uh, pay attention to where they're from and, and learn from history, especially learn from history. Okay, very good. Uh, what's the best place for people to look at your work online? Uh, well, there's the old there's the old Instagram, which is <laughs> the where things are most updated, and then there's my website. What's your Instagram is, uh, name, just for somebody who doesn't want to go to the show? It's just uh, Ju Julian Davis. Yeah. Julian, that's J U L Y A N. <laughs> just in yeah, case anyone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Just Julian, Julian Davis, or is it Julian Davis Art? Just Julian Davis. Just Julian Davis, yep, great. And what's your website? Yeah, and it's uh, juliandavis.com. Okay, all very complicated. <laughs> yeah. I'll put I'll put links in the show notes, but just, yeah, if you're listening and you don't want to cover the show notes. Um, great. Well, look, it's been great chatting with you, and it's taken me a long time to get to it, but um, I'm glad finally got it together. Well, thank you so Be much. Because I loved it. It's, like it's what? Uh, I was going to say, it's like being on, uh, I, I listened to your, I listened to your podcast for so long, it's like being on uh, Michael Parkinson or uh, <laughs> David Letterman or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no one in America is going to know who Michael Parkinson is. <laughs> I, know, I do, I, though. <laughs> that's, I know, it's such a sign of... I've basically stuck in a time warp. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to catch up with the present. Well, you <laughs> hold a special place in my heart because I think it was around Christmas 2016, I got this email from you. I'd never heard from you before. I think you maybe said hello on Facebook or whatever. And you basically were like, I listened to your podcast. I think it's great. I'd like to send you some money. Right? This might have even been before Patreon or anything like that. And I think you sent me $100 just straight away and it was just fantastic and that that you know in, I'm not saying I was thinking of giving up the podcast and you changed it but yeah, right. it was such a lovely bit of encouragement and feedback and oh okay so somebody I mean I get lot I had been getting lots of nice comments and people saying oh I love the podcast but maybe it's the you know down to earth Dublin kind of thing but when people put right, their right. money where their mouth is I'm always yeah. think that that's that speaks volumes, you know, actions generally it, speak, it speak volumes a lot does. more than uh, words. While, while I appreciate words, actions yeah. uh, trump words. Yeah. So, yeah, that That's meant it. a lot to me and to the podcast. And if you are listening to the podcast, you can thank Julian for encouraging me in that way to keep it going. And, uh, yeah, you've been a kind of guest. I must have Julian on, you know, some stage. So I'm really glad we've got to do it. And, yeah... I think it's probably actually taken me this long to gain a full appreciation of your work as well, uh, because even back then I didn't, I, my knowledge wasn't as comprehensive, and my appreciation I don't think was as deep. Um, so I could have said, yeah, I really like your work back then, but I kind of saying it from a different place now, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I can see the difference in the three kind of areas that you work now. Um, I'm in, I like figures of art, so I'm particularly drawn to the narrative kind yes. of work, especially. Um, but even across that, you know, like just the seeing the beautiful in the ordinary is uh, great. And, you know, even from the the questions that you've, because you, you regularly will send in questions for artists I'm going to chat with, your questions are always great because you've got this comprehensive knowledge, art knowledge, um, and there's a lot of depth in that, that kind of informs your work. You can kind of see it. And I just really like the whole story thing. Like, I really liked all that story about the Countess and the guys coming over from Napoleon's army and just very evocative. And the little movies about you are great as well. They just add to it all. So I'm one of those people who would like, oh, yeah, tell us more about the story. <laughs> I like that. So, But, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to finally do this. And you're, you're a lovely person as well, which always makes things easier. So, yeah, it's been great. Well, thank you very much. It's been brilliant. Thank you, John. Okay, so I keep in touch with everyone. So, yeah, we'll, we'll probably keep in touch. So, uh, yeah, until until the next time, we'll, we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, John. It's been great talking to you. I've never felt this good in my entire life. Make me some spaghetti. Actually, I'd prefer a cup of tea. <laughs> a cup of tea would be lovely. So, yeah, just a little reminder, mainly because every second or third person who becomes a patron has got in touch with me and said, you know what, I've been listening to your podcast for ages, and I didn't become a patron, not because I don't have the money, not because I don't think it's great, I just didn't get around to it. So this is a little friendly reminder that if you'd like to be a patron, you'd like to buy me a cup of tea, go to patreon.com forward slash John Dalton, gently does it, all one word, or follow the link in the show notes to become a patron. I would really appreciate it if you could do that, particularly if you've been meaning to and you just haven't got around to it. It would be great. It would mean a lot to me. All right. Thank you. Bye. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Now, let me just check. Sorry, I can't shake your hand. Uh, <laughs> Pardon? I'm sorry I can't shake your hand. Yeah, we're taking the social distancing thing to a real, to a new level. <laughs> I know. It's been uh, well, it's a very odd New York City lately, you know. Something we've never seen before. Yeah. Um, now, am I still recording? Um, okay, just to give someone who's listening in the future uh, a sort of time context for our conversation, today's the 4th of June 2020. Uh, in Ireland, uh, where I am, we're in the process of coming out of lockdown from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. How would you describe things where you are, Stephen? Is it Stephen or Steve? Which do you prefer? Uh, either way, you're fine. 
you, you, whichever you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so how would you describe things where you are? You're in New York, right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, um, um, you know, we've been uh, in lockdown for quite a while now here in New York City. And, uh, uh, and now, you know, since we've had these protests, it's been uh, kind of, it, it seems like everyone has forgotten, you know. Uh, uh, so there's uh, quite a bit of activity going on here now. Um, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's it, it, over the last few months, uh, it, it's been kind of interesting for me uh, in the sense that I, 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 I've kind of had to um, sort of retreat a little bit into um, – Kind of a kind of a way of thinking and a way of of seeing that uh, is more introspective and also in many ways uh, um, more how should I say it's like kind of kind of I'm trying to sort of rejuvenate some things uh, and 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 I'm thinking a lot more about how I used to think and draw uh, when I was younger and what what some of those issues were uh, for me uh, as a young artist. Um, and um, I think that when you sort of reflect on that, there's, um, there's a bit of renewal um, that you tap into. And, um, and I think that that's something that I'm, 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 I'm attempting uh, in, in my work uh, in isolation, um, particularly in, uh, my drawing style and um, my idea for drawing and how I feel about it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, for someone listening who hasn't seen your work, how, how would you describe your paintings? Well, it's not really for me to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really more for others to, to figure out what that is. Uh, um, um, I think right, that, uh, yeah, I'm starting now. What? What was that? I, I'll, I can describe them, and you can disagree, or you know, you, I can, you can bounce off that if you like. Oh well, that's <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead if you want. Yeah. Oh, well, I will then. Uh, uh, I, I think that there's uh, when you know there. How should I say this? I, I, I think that partly when we uh, when we're in the middle of uh, actually making a painting, at least I when I I'm in the middle of, of a picture. Um, there's so many unknowns, uh, and uh, and uh, some people kind of uh, fear uh, that aspect, and I think that it's important to sort of embrace it um, and 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 um, uh, and push forward in a way that um, uh, is just as mysterious as the picture that you create. In other words, that the process uh, can have a mystery about it. And how we even think about our work and think about ourselves, in many ways, is 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 just as much a mystery. So even though we might have a concept and a feeling and an idea for a picture, um, the picture really has a mind of its own and finds its way to us. Right. You know, and and I, I see your paintings in the background, so I think you understand uh, <laughs> uh, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. Um. That's lovely. It's not going to help the person who's listening who hasn't seen your painting, so. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, that's lovely, but it's not going to help the person who's listening who hasn't ever seen your work. Oh, so, well, that's, but if they haven't seen my work, then they need to see it. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, you know, I mean, what's the point of talking about something if you haven't seen it? 
<laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, here's we've had a lot of questions come in, so we better get into them. Um, Tyler Tynes in Salt Lake City says, I'm curious what your process is from the initial idea to the fully realized painting in terms of mapping out your composition, color studies, etc. I've heard some artists say that they refer to historical paintings for inspiration, while others will sit with sketches for years before creating the painting. Uh, thank you both for sharing your insights. Wow, I got included too. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, in part, I think uh, uh, I've, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I've worked in a variety of techniques and styles uh, uh, as a young artist, and um, I think that um, uh, for for myself, uh, 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 the, the, you know, as we mature, um, we sort of hone in on. Um, how to, um, I, I don't want to say shortcuts, but we hone in on um, how to be selective with regard to um, our development. And um, and sometimes that, that's what makes sort of things more difficult because there's so many, the more you know, the more difficult it gets because there are so many more options available to you uh, than when you're a young artist, uh, things appear uh, way more black and white. And I think as we get older, uh, things become uh, more complex and and look a lot grayer, so it kind of requires a, 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 a more effort um, uh, uh, in a way to be able to simplify and and get become more direct in, in the way you think and in the way we paint. So, um, um, so I I, I I mean I you know when I was younger I uh, I you know I I did a lot of preparation drawing, um, just a, quite a bit of. Uh, of, of working everything out beforehand, and even the narrative in many ways was more prescriptive. Um, it was really kind of laid out um, in a very systematic way, um, you know, exactly kind of how I wanted to proceed and what I thought um, the picture should should look like. Um, and um, it, it kind of left um, uh, uh, quite a bit uh, uh, um, of, um, of, of of the surprise out of, out of the process. And, and so that that was that was something that sort of frustrated me because I, I I wanted the work to become more spontaneous and also to feel um, like I was getting something out of it that that I was being fed in some way uh, from the process of painting. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's a there's a, a quote by uh, Adolf Menzel who once said, "Too many preparation drawings are like too much bread before the main course." And um, <laughs> And I, and I think that uh, unlike an artist like Ang, who made hundreds of preparation drawings, um, uh, I, I felt that painting uh, should have um, – I was more interested in painting in a different kind of way. Um, I was more interested in painting uh, becoming uh, something that um, relieved itself from uh, the aspect of, of um, the here and now. And, and, and how do I put this? Um, well, I mean, there's a one of the one of the uh, uh, thinkers that I, I've, I've, always, I've, I've been interested. I have in the past more so interested in is uh, uh, Benedetto Croce, and he, if you ever um, familiar with his book on aesthetics, talks about um, the idea that that a work of art really isn't the work of art, but that a true work of art is in the mind of the artist that never truly gets revealed, and um, and I think that we kind of kind of feel that when we're when we're making a painting that 
what we what we do in our preparation, what we do in our sketches, what we do in our thinking, what we do in, in our strategy, um, really never gets fully realized. Um, and, uh, and, and it's always kind of a bit of a frustration, or can be a frustration, until you accept that. And I think that when you when we accept the fact that what's what what we have in our mind's eye, uh, it remains there, and uh, and that what we what we're left with, is, as Crochet says, is almost like the surrogate or the the, the very platonic, the, the sort of you know the shadow of of, of the truth. And um, I, on the other hand, have have realized that when you accept the fact that you can never really get to the real thing, um, you get something else. And it's in that something else that's uh, interesting to me and that I, 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 I sort of progressed in, as, as a more mature artist to, to realize that, that that's where the surprise lies. Um, the surprise lies in when we allow ourselves to um, um, uh, Kind of accept accept the picture as as a as a means of 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 of, of, of having in a way it's a life of its own a presence of its own and uh, almost like having a child you know we you, you have to let let your child sort of be who they are and and I think that when you allow a picture to be what it is then you might get something better than what might be in your head. Right. Um, that, that you, you you might be surprised by what you get, and you end up with something that um, you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So a lot of the preparation that we do um, in my way in, in my mind is important to a large degree in terms of like establishing an initial strategy. But um, but you know we have to sort of allow the game to move forward and allow uh, all kinds of things to interrupt that. And, and that's one of the reasons why I paint from life um, as opposed to using photography, at least for me, is that um, the game kind of um, uh, 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 is in real time. And we're, we're sort of like, you, you realize that, 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 that the experience is um, something that could be so overwhelming that it can um, um, influence um, your, your feelings and thoughts. Uh, through the process, because simply time is sequential, and what we're looking at becomes um, a, a, a kind of a inspiration that is in itself sequential and experiential. Um, aside from the fact that you know our our eye you know uh, can perceive all kinds of observable nuances, uh, you know, with regard to color and, and form and uh, light. Um, aside from that, there's there's also the fact that everything is changing as we're observing, and it's in those changes that that we embrace and relish, because that's what we need to select from, and uh, we're we're using using those that as an experience that's moving before us in order to be selective, in order to influence, in order to um, in many ways. Um, um, uh, change our mind with regard to what we uh, what we're doing, you know. So that idea yeah. of changing one's mind and revising and, and renewing is so important to making a picture. Um, so preparation sketches are all fine and good, but in the end, um, one shouldn't rely on them too much. That's my opinion. 
<laughs> long long-winded answer i'm sorry that's all right um so well how do like the ideas for paintings come to you um like do you get an idea first and then like make a little sketch or do you make thumbnails or do you write things down or how does it how does it the inception side of it start for you uh well uh uh I think it, 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 it for me it's, uh, it's it's all a little bit different. Uh, sometimes I, mean, I feel like a lot of the pictures that I make I'm not happy with, um, even though other people might be. Um, I, I I I tend to um, um, I don't know. I mean I I think that 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 can be a tr- you know something that is very difficult to um, to uh, describe. Uh, uh, in many ways, I think that it comes for me. What what I find uh, that we ha- we we sort of you know need to do is how we. Well, I keep a sketchbook, for example, and I think that a lot of the um, um, thinking comes through uh, the experience of observation, and um, it, it's not something. It's not like you know you get struck by lightning and you have an idea and then you kind of go about you know trying to illustrate it. Um, I think that what's important is the fact that we um, um, uh, are are sort of like open to questioning things that we observe, um, and that in many ways it's sort of like the the, the process of how we um, kind of question uh, the world around us, and um, and like uh, uh, you know by virtue of sort of like our our reason, you know. Um, and so, like for me, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, I, I even hate the word use the word art, but but because I I don't even know what really what that is anymore, um, <laughs> because it means different things to so many people, and it and it connotates um, uh, a historical question that uh, really um, hasn't really been answered yet in our time, in my mind. But but if we say that, you know. You know, if we use the word art, we, we you can say that art, in many ways, asks questions in the same way, um, or as philosophy um, is the art of asking questions. Um, uh, so, um, but in a way, art acts by faith. Um, it, it, it's sort of in the same way as religion is the act of faith. Uh, and so one side of art is sort of coward in doubt, and the other side is a faith-seeking process. Um, and I think that um, there's sort of this sort of the dichotomy of of how we accept um, doubt and, and questioning uh, what we see, but also how we um, accept um, certain things by um, Kind of taking the leap of faith, um, and uh, it's in that sort of play of, of for me anyway, that that sort of play of, of what I believe and what I accept and what I distrust, um, or what I what I question, that I find that the balance where the balance lies. Um, I don't want to be too um, too difficult, but you know, in my description, but. The idea for me is that when we're when you accept the world as the world, um, 
it, that's an act of faith. You know, when you when you think about the world as being a world of observable uh, phenomena that is reliable to the eye, um, that's an act of faith. In what way? Because uh, you, one can sort of break it down, and by by reason, uh, we can say that there's no such thing as causality. You know. You could you could say anything by you know by virtue of reason, you can begin to formulate all kinds of doubts. Uh, uh, reason takes us to that precipice, you know. As uh, and but it's but it's by faith that we take the leap and, and take the jump. You know, it's the risk of faith. Um, and so I mean, like you know, uh, 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 reason can just take you so far. You know, and reason is the process. Of questioning things, um, but what was it? Kierkegaard once said that a man of faith is like a man floating in an ocean ninety fathoms deep. And that idea of um, of um, allowing yourself to sort of like let go and be be just be is um, is is a is an act of faith. And I think that looking at the world can be both of those things um, instead of you know. Completely doubting uh, um, uh, and and allowing allowing that to create a um, um, an angst and a, um, a, uh, a you know, mistrust and a, a, the feeling of of, of, of um, you know um, isolation that that can feel like as you know in, in one's observances of the world. One one has to also be connected to it, and and I think that to, in order to sort of connect to that experience, you have to sort of let go of it. Does that make any sense? Um, no. Can you explain it a bit more? It would make some sense, but I'm not fully with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that there's a that there's a. Uh, uh, like you know, when you when let's say you have um, you have an idea for something, uh, and the idea is sparked by uh, a question. For example, there's a painting that I um, made uh, uh, in recent years called Passengers, and a lot of the painting is uh, um, sort of like based on sort of. Uh, uh, my traveling, you know, that I've, uh, you know, I, I, I've been traveling in more recent years, and I've been on planes and trains and uh, teaching a bit, uh, um, you know, uh, different places all over the country and so forth. And uh, I, you know, I, and I, and I, and I would keep a sketchbook, and and I think that by having a sketchbook, it, it sort of makes you sort of aware of your surroundings in a way that, that, that if you were just observing it, you wouldn't really have the same kind of thoughts. Um, and um, I'm noticing that uh, there are, um, you know, pe- people who people sleep a lot on moving in moving objects, and uh, people are like kind of, you know, it, it's sort of a question that I had in my mind, like, well, why why is it that you know on a train, you know, people doze off and fall asleep, or why is it that that we um, uh, on a plane, you know, often, you know, people kind of dips off and this this whole feeling of like outward movement moving towards something you know um or even like you know a baby is rocked to sleep on a 
rocking chair. You know, like why? Why does that happen? Why? Why as human beings do we um, are we lulled to sleep by movement? And that became a question to me. You know, and uh, and I wondered about it. You know, what is it about that 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 allows that to happen? Uh, and uh, one of the sketches that I had made was a woman sleeping, and she had her her uh, her uh, uh, yeah, it was a dog that I sketched in her dog carrier, and the dog is like wide awake. And animals are sort of agitated by movement, and somehow like human beings, we we were sort of like you know um, comforted by it. And I, and I, and, and, and then I, and I realized even when I, when I go to sleep at night, sometimes if I allow myself, especially in these days when it's so hard to fall asleep, um, if I, if I allow myself to sort of think about myself being like in a moving object, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, uh, it, it kind of lulls you into the unconscious, um, lulls us into, um, into ourselves. And, um, and, and that I thought, you know, it's also a bit of a movement, but it's a movement from the outside to the inside. And so the, the conflict of, um, of, 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 of outward movement and inward movement became uh, an interesting aspect to me. Uh, uh, and I tried to sort of play that out in, in that picture. Um, and so the, the, the play also became, you know, with the European landscape, Outside of the train, the, the window is, is, is a painting, but it's also a window, and it reflects uh, a European castle. Yet these are Americans in a, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in a train or in, in a, in, that is also in many ways a room. So the, the play with, you know, opposites and the kind of inward and outward, you know, um, metaphor, um, Signifies to, signifies to me in many ways, like the, the, the kind of, um, the kind of way in which we, we accept the world, but then allow the world to be released when, um, when, when we sleep. And, uh, and there's, there's a kind of danger in that, but there's also a kind of comfort in that. Um, and, uh, those kinds of feelings I, I, I kind of wanted to, um, play out. In, in that painting, um, so the the and then I started thinking a bit about well, what is it that what is it that we um, you know what is the question the larger question at hand you know about about the world and how we how we think about the world and feel about ourselves and um, the larger question I think is that you know what 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 are we you know what what are what are we as human beings and what is, you know, what, what are we made of? What do we consist of? And, um, and I realized that that's really kind of one of the reasons why I paint, paint people is that I find people completely mysterious. Um, and I, I think that human beings are way more mysterious to me, you know, for me than, than anything else. And, um, and, and in a way it's the, the mystery that, that we, uh, you know, kind of embrace that um, that um, becomes in, in many ways a catalyst, at least for me, for painting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, John McEntee asks, 
or says, clearly you're a great draftsman, but how much do you consider the conceptual aspect of art when you start a new work? Well, I think I just answered that. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, uh, that's okay. Yeah, because, do you want to well, well, add anything to it? For a lot of people, um, the idea of um, of you know being very perceptual is uh, uh, it becomes a limitation, or they think of it as a limitation. Um, you know, uh, um, compared to you know um, um, you know a purely conceptual work. Um, I think that uh, 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 both perception and conception. Uh, at least for me, are 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 in many ways um, kind of the made of the same made of the same kind of you know cord. Uh, there's a there's a uh, uh, I think that when we're perceptual, we're also conceptual. And when we're conceptual, we're also perceptual. Um, it's just how you define those terms. Uh, so very often, I think we get caught in the language um, of meaning as opposed to what really is truly visual. So, um, and I think that's kind of the problem with, with, especially in our day and age, because the language is um, kind of, you know, we are all speaking so many different languages, and um, it's very difficult to sort of like, like come up with a cohesive visual definition, or a definition of what's visual, you know, what, what becomes a visual um, <coughs> um you know, meaning, uh, and, and put it into words, um, either in, in one's mind or, or, or how we've had to share it with others. So, um, so that, that's become a bit confusing, I think, um, for, um, a lot of, uh, on a variety of levels, you know, for the way, um, the way, you know, like classical realism, people use that word. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, is it, you know, is it the realism of, um, of Van Gogh's potato eaters or the naturalism or natural, people, people use the word naturalism or naturalistic, you know, is it the naturalism of, of, of Van Gogh's potato eaters or is it the naturalism of, of, of Frederick Church, you know, uh, or Bierstadt, you know, so this sort of like use of, of, of terms becomes, uh, uh, in many ways, uh, a historical conundrum. Um, because it, it, there's a, there, there's a, nobody really, you know, we kind of use these terms in a very flippant way in my mind. And, and I think that, or even like realism, you know, what is realism? What do you, how do you, you know, what does that mean really? You know, um, uh, so, um, I have a lot of problems with, uh, with classifications and terminology, especially, um, the way people do it today. Okay. Yeah. Did I go off on a tangent? <laughs> no, no. I get what you're saying, though, that you've got a lot of problems with the classifications. Um, okay, here's a question from Robert Silverman. He says, does literal content, for example, a concept or philosophy or political statement or something of that sort, does that have importance to your work, and how does it reconcile with the art of painting? Um, well, I think that uh, there are, I mean, if we look at um, a number of uh, uh, historical, um, you know, you know, just how artists have have either had a political motive or a um, a purely aesthetic motive, uh, that that they, these elements can, in many ways, almost be the starting point. I think 
of a picture. In other words, that there's, you know, art isn't, isn't, uh, in other words, uh, the, the, the specification or the specific of, 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 of a, of a, of a social, con- of social content in, in the work, uh, can be an important element with regard to how we communicate, you know, feelings and ideas. But it, it's not the only way to do that. In other words, that, that it's not the, the, um, it's, 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 it's not what, in my mind, what, um, what is the, um, uh, the dominant factor of what makes a, a work of art, you know. Uh, the dominant factor, in my mind, at least what I, when I think about, you know, the artists that I admire and love so much, um, you know, are, 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 are how they raise those, the questions of our existence. You know, like what, 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 in, in a way, it's, it's way more of, of an existential posturing for me than it is, um, kind of the limitations of something that's, um, based on, uh, politics or, um, the particularity of, 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 of the subject. Um, I mean, all of that, is, it can be part of the experience and, and important to the experience, but it's not, to me, that it's not the overriding or the most important thing in, in, in a work of art. How, how do you mean that you're posturing? I think I don't get that. Uh, well, in other words, that when, uh, you know, that there's a, a kind of a formal presentation, is, is, a, is a posture. Um, like when, when we, when, when, when you, um, like, you know, how should I say, it? like, like theater, for example, with theatrics of telling the story or the narrative in many ways is, is, is what is a presentation. And the idea of what, how we present to the viewer, um, is, uh, is, is an outward, um, uh, communication that the viewer, um, Kind of responds to, and, and so the posturing is is like the actor on stage uh, presenting, and so uh, whether it's uh, 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 you know a statement that you're making that regard that that's political or a statement that we're making that is uh, even purely aesthetic is 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 is, is what is the the uh, the prelude you could say. Uh, to the um, uh, to the presentation, it's like it's like what what we what we reveal, um, and uh, I mean like when you think about an actor, you know, an actor is playing a role and postures himself a certain way, you know, in accord to that role. Uh, the role that he that the lines that he reads, you know, are 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 could be you know motivated. Like you know, an artist being motivated by his political point of view, but what what's what the subtext, uh, you know, hopefully you know gives us, and what the what the actor also you know simultaneously shows and shows us is is the underlying content, the underlying significance of of his skill, the underlying significance of what what's internal. Uh, and, and the, the sort of, the internal aspect in many ways is, uh, is, is, is that, that thing that very often is something hidden, not necessarily revealed so clearly. And, uh, and I think that, 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 that has, 
a lot more to do. In other words, I think that great art for me is, is, is the art that, that speaks to my mind and heart that, you know, like, that makes me like wonder. It makes me like feel, you know, like, gee, what, what, what are we? You know, what, where are we? You know, what is this about? You know, like, why, what is, you know, this is like amazing that it makes me feel, you know, like present and alive, you know, and, and so there's, there's that aspect of, 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 of art that, um, that isn't obvious to the eye. Yeah. Um, just listening to your talk, I'm just curious, did, did your inquiries about existence and the nature of existence and all that, was that always with you? And like, was it in parallel with your expressing yourself as a painter? Um, or did they, you know, one happen, you know, like you were, you know, you were, you were, um, good at drawing as a kid, or I'm just making this up, or you're good at drawing as a kid, and you became, you know, a painter and all that, and then and then you started to think about these other things, or did they go parallel with each other? Do you, do you understand what I'm asking you? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, 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 I think at least, you know, when, when I, oh, I, could, I could think back to when I was a... Uh, um, alone in the hospital as a kid, you know, I think, um, when, I think, well, like I had appendicitis when I was a child, and uh, at that time in the 60s, uh, parents weren't allowed to uh, uh, stay with their children in the hospital room. Yeah, same in Ireland. Yeah, um, it's changed now, thank God, but, but back then it was just very scary to be a kid, you know, in the hospital. Um, I think I was about uh, five or six years old, but I have clear memory of that experience, and um, and I think that you know that sort of like I think most children we don't you don't think about death, you know, um, but I think that for me that was sort of like like in my mind and the way I think back that was that was like the the very strong like recognition that there is death. You know, that there is something that, not this, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and kind of, and, and the fear of it, you know, and, and how to, how to handle it. And I, 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 I remember saying to myself that if I will myself not to die, I won't die. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and I also remember my, my, my dad, who was, um, it's just an extraordinary person, uh, and probably, I had such a great, great, I had such great parents. But I remember my dad uh, sneaking into my, my hospital room uh, when he wasn't allowed to be there. And he, um, he slept, he, he'd sleep on the floor in the hospital room. You know? Oh, that's lovely. And uh, once I remember the, and I remember this, I remember the nurse coming in and my dad running to hide in the closet. <laughs> And the nurse came in, and she saw his shoes on the ground, <laughs> <laughs> and she kicked him out. <laughs> and uh, and I just remember crying, you know, because yeah. that, that that and uh, and and I and I think that 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 kind of um, um, uh, jarring uh, experience for me, you know, as a child, uh, uh, really kind of 
kind of tapped into that sort of like existential quest, you could say. Yes. Sort of like at a very young age. And so like thinking about art, seeing the artists like when I was younger growing up and looking at going to the museums, my mom would take me to the museums regularly, the Metropolitan Museum regularly. And um and even as five, six years old, I, I, I was drawing the Knights in Armor and and um start at that time the Museum of Modern Art had classes for children. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom was taking me there to draw. And we used to draw. And back then, when Museum Modern Art was like a, um, I mean, it was like camp. You know, it wasn't anything like it is now. Uh, they had a little sculpture garden in the backyard, and and we, as children, we would draw in the backyard in the sculpture garden. And um, and I think that 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 even the you know even looking at art was to me. Uh, it was it was in many ways that sort of like mystery of of what what was internalized uh, in those works and and there's something like I remember like drawing the giant sculpture by Gaston Leger, you know, sitting underneath at this big giant woman, you know, making <laughs> a little kid and trying to sketch it and draw it, and that was in the backyard in their backyard in the Humanist backyard along with the the balls act by by Rodin and uh, um, but uh, but there was something in the formation of the shape of the eyes and the presence and that um, and I just remember the giantness of me being so little you know and and the the, the kind of uh, just the kind of overwhelming uh, you know yeah so I I don't know I I I, I you know and then looking at you know paintings by Rembrandt when I was very young and wondering, you know, like, where is, where's that light coming from? (laughs) What is is that light? You know, like what, what is that made of? Um, And and what is it revealing? You know, why does it feel that way? Um, I mean, I, you know, I I don't know. I think that, that, again, I think that even looking at art, you know, I tell my students to, just question things, you know, like be inquisitive, but in your own mind, you know, question like why it makes you feel the way it does, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what does it make you feel? You know, and why does it make you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Darren Phillips says, could you speak about the idea of the double portraits, in inverted commas, that you draw and paint? And can you speak on the importance of working from life and not using photographs? Well, I, I touched already on that, why the importance of working yeah. from life. Um, what was the other? Um, the double portraits that you draw and paint. Uh, well, a lot of the, I mean, I, I don't always do that, but, but the, 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 it comes out of sort of the notion or the idea that um, we're not one thing but two things, you know, that, that everything is kind of composed of, of dualities. Um, and that, um, and that even nature, you know, is symmetrical. And that, that objects in nature are symmetrical. Living things in nature are symmetrical. That there's a symmetry, uh, and that there's sort of like this, like, I mean, if you look at, for example, if you look at like a, the, the wings of a butterfly, you know, it's very, they're very symmetrical in pattern and design. But if you really look closely, you begin to see the variation. 
And it's the same thing with a portrait. You know, a portrait, we're symmetrical beings, but at the same time, there's there's asymmetry. You know, there's uh, you look at one side, one eye is a little lower, one eye is a little higher. You know, nostril is a little lower, but at a distance, things appear to be more symmetrical. So this idea of uh, of uh, two portraits uh, can be, in many ways, uh, in my mind, sort of the metaphor for that, 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 that two, two, the aspect of, of what is um, symmetrical to our nature is there's also a psycholo- psychological symmetry that presents, um, a portrait presents. How a portrait, um, you know, extends itself to the viewer and allows the viewer in and how a portrait looks in on itself. Um, and so, like, if we look at, like, a, a great painting by, um, I don't know, I, I think about Rembrandt, for example, we mentioned, you know, like, there's what, what Picasso called the elephant eye of Rembrandt, you know, which is the, the eye, the dominant eye that looks, looks at us is something that, you know, grabs us, that, that takes us in. And then, then we might see a, a subdued eye that becomes more internal. So that, that the other the other eye looks inward. Um, you know, Renaissance portraits very often a hand extends out and the hand you know pushes you in. So there's this sort of like play of what what a picture can do um, behind the window of itself and what a picture can do in the way it reaches out from the window to the viewer. Um, so by by doing two portraits. Uh, side, side by side of even the same person um, can in many ways be a metaphor for the uh, the person looking out and the person looking in. The the interior um, aspect of an individual and the exterior aspect of an individual, and and how one sort of can play with the balance of the two, uh, optically and visually, you know. And, and 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 very often the the, the 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 presentation, like we talked about presentation, is 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 like theater. It's the it's the outward self that reveals uh, kind of the or shows um, you know what we're like wearing or the, the presentation, you know, the the, the the pretext, you know, and the 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 other self in many ways the self that we very often hide or bury or keep keep to our keep to ourselves and 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 I regard that as kind of the subtext of a person and yeah. and and so we use we use the the, the 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 pretext in order to arrive at the subtext so for example like if you look at like um, artists painting themselves as 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 someone else. You know, Caravaggio painting himself as Bacchus, or Rembrandt painting himself as Saint Paul. There's, there's sort of a, you know, the actor that that plays a role. That's the, the, the pretext. But by virtue of the pretext, one can sort of like find and see the subtext. Yeah. Which, what's what's hidden? Yeah. yeah. And so there, that that can be two portraits. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, Tal Devere in Arizona says, 
How did you paint your subway painting since you are an advocate of painting from life? E.g., did you use photos or real models to pose for you? Lighting, etc. Thanks. Um, passengers, yeah. Which painting was that? Passengers? I think so. He says you're a subway painting, so I'm guessing. Oh, subway painting. Yeah. I think he means uh, the fire key. I saw that question. Um, well, I, you know, I think that he's asking more of a technical question. Um, you know, how do you how do you make that happen, or how, how does one sort of put together uh, a composition uh, and uh, work uh, a grouping together at once? Uh, and uh, I mean, every everybody kind of does that different in a different way. Um, I, 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 the way I, I've done it, or I, I even continue to work on a variety of multiple figure groupings is. Um, um, I've had, uh, I mean, I've had, I, for example, that, uh, I, I've had groups of people come into my studio at once, and I might lay out sort of a schematic, you know, a composition. Um, and my composition might be like a very small kind of rough idea, and then once I have people posing, then that can, it, I can alter it. And um, and I, I often start with uh, uh, some kind of a grid or some kind of design, underlying design, um, and then I sort of see how the, how things happen. Um, and, uh, I do like that, the idea that, you know, when there are, when there is more than one person that you're painting, when you have, you know, a grouping together, it creates a kind of a, an atmosphere of its own. And I don't mean, I don't mean technically, but I just mean that there's a, there's a kind of a psychology that, that can evolve, um, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I might, I might do sketches or block, blocking, uh, and then I, and then, then I might have maybe two figures together, take two figures together, and then work out one figure at a time from there. Uh, so it, it's kind of like, a, it can be a bit of a progression, you know, working something of the whole out, something of a sense of, 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 of where people are located as a group. Uh, and then, and then single out, uh, eventually hone in on the singularity of the individual in the group, you know. Um, lighting, uh, often I'll, I'll sort of like invent the lighting. Um, depending on the, the mood, the atmosphere, the, um, the, the, the emotive content. Um, so, you know, a cool light or a warm light, play of warm and cool. Uh, play of, you know, like a, a red light or a bluer light or even natural light. Uh, what, what, what kind of, of, of light is it? And what, what's the significance of it? Well, um, you know, cool light very often is the light that, you know, artists typically use like a north light. You know, there's something about north light that artists love and I do love it. And it, it, it's, it's, it's really quite, quite, quite lovely in the way it, it sort of enters a room and it's very soft and it's kind of like you really see the movement of the light from the outside, you know, entering into the space. It has a, it has a, 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 a soft sort of elegant motion to it as it moves into space. Um, incandescent light does sort of the opposite. It's more harsh, more abrasive, it tends to flatten out the form. Um, natural light 
is uh, kind of embraces the form. It 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 it, it kind of like hugs the form in a way that um, uh, incandescent light um, does not. So the harshness of incandescent light against the softness of natural light could be an interesting juxtaposition, even as a metaphor. Um, that you know what's warm, what's cool, what comes in from the outside, and what emanates from the inside. Um, and so there's you know what's what becomes feminine, what becomes masculine, uh, what becomes uh, uh, hot, and what becomes cool. These things can can uh, can 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 carry with them like emotions uh, and color. Color is light. The color of things in the light, you know. In other words, color is not a red apple. Isn't a red apple. A red apple is a red apple because of the light that strikes it. Um, if you put a green light on the red apple, it becomes a green apple. So the, the light is the color is in light. No matter what kind of light it is, there's color in it, and 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 it's how we use that um, to define what we want. It could become an extension of our expressive need, or it could simply be a device that we're making use of, um, you know, in a composition to um, to allow something to be uh, understood a certain way. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, Christopher Serge Lewis in Kentucky says, I've noticed your personal aesthetic of color theory seems to hinge on high-value contrast, but also high chromatic saturation levels. How did you come to land on this aesthetic, if I'm assessing it correctly? Uh, would you repeat that again? I'm sorry. Yeah, he says, I've noticed your personal aesthetic of color theory seems to hinge on high-value contrast, but also on uh, high chromatic saturation levels. And then how did you come to arrive at that aesthetic? Uh, I, I don't know if it's something that I, I've consciously, like, arrived at as much as it is the, the the emotion that I want to make it, like, convey. You know, the, the yeah. kind of, like we talked about, I just talked about the, the feeling that, that what, what is warm and what is cold or what can be cool and what is warm, you know, that it, 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 it carries a flavor. It's an extension of, of how we feel or how I feel. Yeah. So it, it's, um, um, uh, it, 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 I mean, it, there are technical aspects to that. Uh, but but I honestly, I don't see, a lot of people like see my work as being highly chromatic. But I, I think that it's because a lot of people see things in black and white. <laughs> and uh, honestly, like, I think that the majority of the world, and the majority, a lot of realist painters, I think, see the world in black and white and you don't really see color. Um, why, why do you think that is? Because I think that people are trained, especially in, uh, like, a lot of the ateliers, uh, to uh, see things first in terms of value. Right. And to think in terms of value. And so, remember, the way we think is the way we see. You know, it's it's not... You know, very often, like, the thinking gets in the way of the seeing, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, because we have to be able to sort of, like, see things in a way that um, are uh, part of the way we think, but we also have to think because it's the way we see. 
and and so it, it, it there's no like you know that, that becomes a bit of a, a of a complex issue because a lot of some artists say paint what you see not what you know other artists say paint what you know not what you see and and really it's a, it's just it's, it's more semantics because you know like our our eye and our mind are one you know and and the way our way we understand is the way we see you know um so when i'm teaching like people to see color like people say oh i didn't i you know i'll come around and point out color relationships to them and they'll be like oh now i see it but i didn't see it before you know um and and i and i remember having the same feeling when i was learning some of my anatomy um i i um I took some classes with Robert Beverly Hale when I was a kid, and I remember and, and Gustav Rayberger at the Austrian Students League, and I remember a, a drawing and like looking at the you know the musk the, the muscles of of the back and trying to sort of like render and copy all the bumps that I could see when I was a little kid, you know, looking at the bumps and trying to get them all right and accurate, and uh, and then when it was pointed out to me when my instructor came over. Uh, Hale would put, I'll put a piece of tracing paper over your drawing, and then and then draw on the tracing paper what was underneath the bones and the muscle groupings and so forth, and then you see like where your error was, but it wasn't an error that was visual. It was an error that was based on sort of like the way we, way you would understand what's underneath and what the construction uh, uh, meant. And so the, 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 the looking and seeing, you see, like you, everyone looks, everyone sees, but not everybody understands, you know. And, and, and so, you know, it really requires um, uh, effort to learn how to see. You know, it, it, it's not the seeing, it's how we learn how to see that matters. You know, learning how to see, learning how to see color, learning how to, how to understand things in a way that, you know, is based on the complexity of relationships and uh, color relationships, understanding what those relationships do to the eye, the optics of seeing the, uh, why certain things look the way they do to the eye. Um, and so the, uh, um, I think that for a lot, a lot of young artists, um, that becomes sort of a problem because they're taught in this way of like looking at the world first as color and then just, I'm sorry, looking at the world at sort of like as a grisaille or as an underpainting in gray and then applying color on top of that. And color only then becomes like a, an appendage, you know, yeah. like a, something that's just sort of stuck on, something secondary. When in my mind, color is, it can be the, 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 the reason for a picture. You know, it's the yeah. it, 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 it's everything. You know, it's just as important as drawing. It is yeah. drawing. Color and drawing are one. Yeah. Um, okay. Pao Tria in the Philippines says, what kind of medium do you use? It seems like your paintings feel like Rembrandt textures, and then there's another question about medium as well. Jeff uh, Koopman in Pennsylvania says, um, on the use or not of the various mediums and why? So, mediums. Oh, yeah. It's like a technical question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. There's a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about 
technical thing. Um, the uh, uh, medium, I, I mean, I, I, I used to make my mediums when I was a kid. You know, I, I, I tell my students that, you know, I, I almost burned my mother's house down trying to make Marge medium when I was 13. <laughs> uh, I failed to use a, uh, uh, a uh, double boiler, you know, and the oil dripped into the flames and everything burst into flames. Jesus. Um, wow. And so, I mean, I, 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 I didn't really almost burn my mother's house down, but it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a lot of fire. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but, but you know, I, I think experimentation with mediums, uh, at, you know, even now I'm experimenting with all these new things that have come, that come out. Um, and there are things that, and, and then at the same time, I think that keeping sort of the basic principles of oil painting, if you're painting in oils, you know, that basic principle of fatty over lean is, uh, is something that I always go back to, you know. So, um, uh, you know, and, and so the development of a medium, the development of, of, of craft um, is in many ways an extension of our expressive needs because that can be different for me. It could be something else for someone else and so forth. But, but the way we develop our craft um, is something that becomes sort of like part of our, our language um, and becomes sort of like, like I said, an extension of what our needs are, you know, what, we, what, what our requirements are. And so for me, I always like that idea of, of a fatty medium or um, using, I mean, we use linseed oil because at least I still do use linseed oil, whether it's sand oil or cold pressed linseed oil, um, to, to sort of, uh, you know, because it's, it, it, it's very viscous, it's fatty, it's, it's got um, flow, uh, it's the way it feels when you paint with it as opposed to like painting with walnut oil. Um, or, you know, other oils or safflower, other oils that don't have that meatiness to it. Um, so I, I like a, a thick, uh, flowing, uh, uh, medium. Um, and, uh, and it, it allows for, uh, um, a, an effect of, of luminosity that, um, I'm, I'm interested in. The idea that, you know, how to keep shadows essentially transparent and luminous and how to think about light, the light masses as opaque and luminous. So luminosity uh, is sort of the, 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 the thing about oil painting is that it, its advantage, you know, what it, is that it, it can create luminosity to the eye because, you know, light, you know, enters into the surface and uh, penetrates it and, bounces back to the eye, the color, the observable color that we see, kind of like a stained glass would. So, um, so the advantage that we have in oil painting is, is just that, that it, it allows us to see through the surface, to penetrate the surface optically, and, and, and for color to respond to us um, uh, in, in a very immediate way to the, uh, the eye. So that, I, so that, that, that feeling of, of lushness of, of, um, of uh, 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 kind of like, how should I say this, like the, 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 the tactile quality of the surface in many ways because of its, the, the, the buildup of paint, its opacity, its, uh, its, its, its density, and at the same time its transparency. 
uh, allow for this feeling of, of, of spatial um, uh, kind of, you know, we're trying to find a spatial equilibrium that, that, that both, you know, advances to the eye that, allow, that you know, penetrates and, and that the eye can penetrate. And, and so we're, we're, looking for a, we're looking for a way to see through a picture and at the same time for a picture to ad- advance um, to the eye. And it's, it's in that relationship that, um, you know, a, a medium or how we use our medium, how we use um, the impasto of a picture or how we think about, um, you know, building a surface up and then allowing some of it to sort of recede um, where, where it becomes uh, very active and where it becomes softer and less active. All of that has so much to do with um, how we want to create mixed space. Um, and again, all of that is, is, is basically an extension or at, at the service of, of, of our expression. So, um, you know, we're always thinking about, you know, at least I am always thinking about what it is that I want for a picture. Um, and, and then, I mean, some paintings that I've made have, have been like, you know, I, I, I mean, in the past, I've made pictures that were, you know, like, you know, glassy, you know, surfaces that were, you didn't see a stroke, couldn't see a stroke. And then other times, you know, now I, I, I'm way more improvisational. I find that, you know, you know, trying, trying not to be systematic is, is in a way systematic. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, trying to be completely void of being so self-conscious is in a way being self-conscious, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like being conscious of our consciousness. Um, so it, it, there's a bit of a, a, a fight with that, you know. Um, so I think that uh, technique is, uh, or what we do with our technique, uh, what we do with our craft, um, you know, what we do with our medium um, really depends on the kind of painting you want to make. And and I've, I've made all kinds of paintings, so the mediums that I might choose for one picture might be different for another. Uh, but typically, uh, one of the mediums that I've that kind of held on to came from uh, Max Derner, which is years ago. I mean, he, was, you know, he wrote, I mean, it's, it's very antiquated. And he, he used a combination, he said he used a combination of sun thickened linseed oil, uh, mastic varnish, uh, and uh, Dennis turpentine. And, uh, um, uh, and gum serpentine, uh, as a, as a medium. That was sort of like the standard. I, I've, I've changed it up quite a bit, uh, from that, but because I find that mastic varnish for one yellows, uh, very badly and it's very hard to remove it if you don't ever use it for varnish. Very hard, very difficult to remove. Um, um, if you, you know, if you, some think of linseed oil also yellows very badly over time. Um, so I've eliminated that. I do like Venice turpentine or Venetian turpentine, which is the, uh, sap from a, a European larch tree, uh, essentially. There's Canadian balsams and other substitutes. But, but, you know, Sennelier makes a really nice, uh, Venetian turpentine. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 it's really kind of gooey like honey. It's, uh, it's not like, you know, gum turpentine or anything like that, you know. It's a, it's a very viscous 
honey-like uh, uh, material, and I, I still use that in my uh, medium at times. It tends to uh, add a little bit of, um, of of meat to the uh, to the medium, and 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 will give your your medium a bit of flow. Um, if you want a looser medium, if I'm working on a large painting, I, I want something loose looser that can spread quickly, and so I might use uh, 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 cold pressed linseed oil. If I'm working on a smaller picture, uh, I might uh, thicken it up and use um, uh, sand oil uh, in place of the uh, uh, some thickened linseed oil. Um, sand oil is a pretty good linseed oil that, that doesn't yellow quite as badly as uh, some of the other linseed oils over time. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm always like thinking about, you know, making paintings that aren't about today, but that, that somehow will have significance um, in times to come. I'm, I'm not interested in becoming, you know, really like a famous artist, but I think that what's more interest, what what I'm more interested in is making a picture that, you know, essentially will last, that will have lasting meaning and lasting, sort of like a lasting presence. Um, at least that's for, that's the way I think of it. I, I think that painting, I mean, I think that in our day and age, the artist has become more important than the art. Um, and um, I'm, I, I kind of feel the opposite. I think the art is more important than the artist, or should be. All right. Yeah. That's another technical question. Uh, Hua Ji in Shanghai asks, how do you achieve wet-on-wet -wet glazing? Uh... Well, uh, I once had it, had it, had it, had it when I was, uh, uh, one of my teachers that I had uh, growing up was a copyist. Last name is Adkin. And he was, uh, he, uh, I, I, I remember this, this one summer, I, I was 14, and my parents, my, and I had a, I had a band that I used to play drums with. Um, and uh, these guys, they were older than me. I was the drummer. And that summer, I was kind of going off a little bit off on a tangent, but that summer uh, uh, they had a gig to do um, uh, something on a cruise ship, like a, you know, and my mom and dad wouldn't let me go because <laughs> I was too young <laughs> to play with them. And, uh, and that summer I had no friends around, and I was kind of like, like, the, you know, it's just a little lonely, and uh, and I and and my mom said, "Why don't you take classes at the YMCA?" And it was like right around the corner from where I lived, the YMCA. And I said, "All right," and I and I took an art class there, and I think I was the only kid in the art class. Everybody else was like over sixty, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and I was about fourteen, um, and. Uh, I posed for the, uh, the the teacher, and he and uh, he, uh, he you know he was kind of a nice nice older man, and he was trained really to copy you know to to paint to do a copy of so everyone in the class was some people were copying a Monet, some people were copying um, uh, I don't know you know a Renoir, or another person maybe copying a Picasso, some person you know was copying you know. So everyone was sort of like copying something and, you know, copying a work they they admired or, or wanted to learn from. Um, 
And so um, I, I, you know, he took a liking to me, and he, we started going to the Metropolitan Museum together, and we um, would uh, uh, copy at the Met, and he, he had the pass to do that. But at that time, it was also a little bit easier to do that. And uh, um, and so um, I, I decided that um, I really wanted to try copying something that was really kind of like hard. <laughs> and I and I tried copying Rembrandt, uh, and he said, "Well, this is how you do it. You know, you start with an underpainting, and then you'll do this and you do that." And um, I still have that somewhere. That some of the paintings that I did back then. Um, but um, it was a it, it was kind of interesting thing to um, to sort of throw yourself into because I think that. In many ways, you when you do copy a work of art, it it kind of um, there's signifiers that that begin to um, you begin to read that you wouldn't otherwise, um, and that it really it really kind of um, you really kind of like are kind of connected to the work in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be. Um, there's a quote by John. Dewey said that a work of art is like an organ of vision, and that the the the, the work begins to sort of like like you begin to to see the world the way that artist sees the world, and I think that when you copy a work, it it sort of you begin to sort of like see things um, um, uh, outwardly in, in your world the way that artist might have seen the world. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Major Hughes in California asks, uh, could you talk about your painting process? How far you go before letting certain areas dry and then working over them? Do you scrape, sand, or glaze anything? I do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> all of um, the above. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, some artists, uh, like, you know, if you're oiling out, like coming back to a picture, you know, you want to oil it out and then have something to paint into. Um um, as you're working on a very kind of a painting that's very um, eggshell, you know, smooth, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend sanding it down uh, because you know it, you really kind of like want to build up on. Uh, uh, the, I mean, again, it depends on the kind of painter you are and what you want. Uh, so some artists uh, use uh, Windex or little ammonia to sort of like wipe the surface tension of the picture down, um, and and then the oil won't beat up on the surface that way. Um, I, I particularly like to sand my paintings in between layers. And so depending on the picture, I'll use either a rougher or a coarser or a smoother uh, sandpaper. Um, and I like, because remember, like, as you're painting, your the sort of fatty over lean uh, idea is, is, is really just opposite to the way paint dries and on, on, on your palette or on your, on your, on your canvas. Um, paint, paint dries from the top down. It doesn't dry from the bottom up. So it creates a shell on the surface that, um, that, that you know, if you, if you paint too thick or um, too soon, then, you know, the shell that builds up sort of will demonstrate itself over time. Uh, as um, drying at one ratio over the underlying layer, which is drying at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a faster ratio, so that kind of creates 
cracking on the surface over time. Um, so, uh, it, so really, if you sand your picture down, if you're building it up, it's very has a lot of embossing. Paint it down and apply more oil. You're you're adding um, uh, adding fat to the surface, and you're building fat or building oil that way. Um, so again, you know, like you can be experimental. Uh, one can sort of experiment with also uh, uh, some of the some other 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 you know new mediums, but but always remember that if you're working in oil, that oil paint, you know, that its nature is to sort of you know uh, it really never dries. You know, it's always active, and that's what allows it, its transparency and its luminosity in many ways. As opposed to like temper paint, which dries very thoroughly, you know, it, but it dries very opaque to the eye. Does that make sense? Yeah. 